Let's pray. Father God, we pray that as we gather around your word, you might speak to us, that we might listen, that we might learn and may we respond in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. At the start of the week, there was a story in the news about the possibility of reducing the length of time people are expected to self-isolate in the event they are told that someone with whom they've come into contact has tested positive for COVID-19. And this follows on from reports about how many people admit that they just don't do it, at least not for the recommended 14 days. Oh, most start off with good intentions. But if they're feeling okay after about a week, many start to assume, oh, I'm fine, and begin to go about their normal business. Others simply can't afford to stay away from work for two weeks. But isolation is difficult. Early in lockdown, I remember joking that as a middle-aged man, socially distancing was my default setting. I'm also an introvert, so I, I normally draw my energy from being alone or with a few people. But I soon became aware how much even I missed connection with others. And those of you who live by themselves will have felt this most keenly. For many, the hardest aspect has been the lack of physical contact. A number of people have commented to me just how difficult they have found that and how surprised they were to find it so difficult. I find it heartbreaking when people have told me about visiting their grandchildren and the closest they could get was holding their hand up against a pane of glass while the grandchild held up their hand on the other side. Or my brother telling me about one of his grandkids hugging his leg and saying, I've missed you, Granda. In the early part of the summer, Jules had some minor symptoms and was sent home from work, pending the result of a COVID test. And this meant we both had to self-isolate until the results came back. To be honest, I think if she had had COVID, it would have already been rather late for me to start avoiding her. But until the results came back, that was what I had to do. I couldn't give her a kiss or have a cuddle. And the number of times I had to stop myself. Jill's was negative and it was only a weekend. But it felt like an age. In the last couple of weeks, the effect that COVID will have on Christmas celebrations has come to the fore. Some countries are introducing quite strict lockdowns now in the hope that it will allow for some relaxation by Christmas. Some are warning that it would be unenforceable to keep family apart at Christmas. People simply wouldn't tolerate it. Now, I'm trying to tread carefully here. I carry responsibility for us observing the guidance and I take that responsibility seriously. And often I'm enforcing stuff that I would never have chosen if you'd given me the chance. But I want to emphasise it is important that we follow it. 
But it is difficult. On the news, one woman this week perhaps said what many of us, many of us have been thinking over these last few months. Reflecting on her area being moved into Tier 3, she questioned if it was worth it. She said something along the lines of, it might be keeping her safe. But was it really living? Although the language of social distancing might be very 2020, the idea is not. It goes back thousands of years, right back to the days of the events our scriptures describe. In today's passage, Jesus encounters someone who was supposed to socially distance. Not just while he waited for a test to come back, nor for 7, 10 or 14 days. This was his life. Some translations say the guy had leprosy. Others, like our church Good News Bible, say a dreaded skin disease. In an era when they lacked the knowledge, certainly at early stages, to tell one skin disease from another, or the likely severity of one disease from another, the same word was used to cover quite a variety of conditions. I mean, I occasionally get psoriasis on my elbow. And if I had lived in first century Galilee, this may well have been enough to have me classed as a leper and hence unclean. And such skin diseases were dreaded. Amongst them were several variations of full blow and leprosy, which were progressive, prolonged, painful, and ultimately fatal. But physical suffering was only part of it. If you had some sort of physical injury or disability, life, as it still can be today, would be very difficult. You would not be able to work and you'd have to beg or rely on others. And it came with a lot of stigma and suspicion. But at least many of those things weren't contagious. With leprosy, there was nothing could be done for the sufferer. All you could do was keep the rest of the community safe from them. So it came with enforced distancing and isolation. To all intents and purposes, the sufferer was considered dead. They could not live amongst the rest of the community, so were shunned and kept to the margins. They could put out a begging bowl, but had to keep a safe distance away from that bowl to beg. They were obliged to warn anyone of their condition should they find themselves in proximity to someone else. Because to come into contact with someone with these skin diseases could render you unclean too. Diagnosis of the disease came from a priest. Sufferers would undergo re-examination over a period of 14 days. And if things did not improve or got worse, they would be banished from the community. Of course, not all such conditions were what we would consider leprosy today. And not all would have been fatal or permanent. But once diagnosed, they would be viewed with great suspicion. In the event that a sufferer did recover from their skin condition, it was quite an ordeal to prove it, involving quite elaborate rituals to be pronounced clean once more and be restored to your community. 
So along with all the physical symptoms of the illness would come the pain of isolation, of being cut off, even from those whom you love and have loved you. The absence of physical touch. Perhaps not just for a season, but for life. And there was another dimension. This was a society which readily assumed a link between sickness and sinfulness. If you were ill, you deserved it. And we encounter hints of that elsewhere in the Gospels, and Jesus challenges that kind of thinking. But that thinking was especially prevalent with diseases like leprosy. Perhaps the fact that it was a priest who banished the sufferer from the community created the sense that they were not just cut off from other people, but from God. Now I recognise that's quite a long setup, but it does help make sense of some of the odder features of the story. The first thing is the nature of the guy's request. He doesn't ask to be healed or even made clean. He says, if you choose, or if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now in one sense, that's a huge statement of faith. He has no doubt about Jesus' ability or power to do the job. But he does doubt Jesus will. It's not, can Jesus help me? It's, will he want to? Remember where this passage sits in Mark's narrative. It comes right at the end of the very busy day we spoke of in the last sort of couple of times. From casting out the impure spirit in the synagogue in the morning, to healing Peter's mother-in-law's fever in the afternoon, to an evening dealing with people with all sorts of conditions in the evening. He's seen Jesus deal with all of them, or at least heard about it. But this is him. This is his condition. Would Jesus have time for him? Would Jesus want to help him? Who knows how long he has lived with this condition? Who knows how long he had been cut off, ostracized from his whole community, including those he loved and had once loved him? How long had he lived with that sense that he was somehow perhaps living under judgment or perhaps feeling he was being punished? How long has he had to mull over that in his mind? Has it left him with this sense of questioning whether even God would want to help him? The second odd feature is Jesus' reaction. Our church Bibles talk of Jesus being filled with pity. And that's a good translation of some of the early manuscripts of Mark's Gospels we have. But others put it slightly differently. Some say Jesus was indignant. There's a kind of anger or frustration to Jesus' reaction. And there's some debate about which Jesus intended. Most think the latter is more likely. It seems more natural or normal to soften Jesus' anger to pity than to do the opposite. But what would Jesus be angry about? Is he angry at the man? At the interruption? At having just got away from a whole load of people wanting his help only to find another one waiting for him? Is Jesus annoyed that this guy doesn't respect social distancing regulations? 
And Jesus is also quite brusque in his response. When Jesus heals him, it's almost like he goes, go on, right, off you go now. He rushes him away. But one more detail might help us to understand more. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In one sense, that sounds quite positive. In Christian circles, we talk of people giving a testimony. It's got quite a positive feel to it. It's about letting others know how God has helped us or what God's done for us. So it might seem like this guy is being given a chance to tell what God has done for him in Jesus. And maybe Jesus is being respectful of the Torah traditions to validate the healing. Possible, but not necessarily. The same phrase occurs in a couple of other places in the New Testament, and it has quite a different sense. It's about refuting something or testifying against someone. When we piece it all together, we perhaps gain a sense of what's going on here. Jesus isn't annoyed or angry at the man or that his peace and quiet is being disturbed or that he came out here to get away from people and they still hunted him down. Whether Jesus is indignant or filled with pity, the senses of Jesus being moved to the very core of his being. And what moves him, I believe, is that someone thinks they are so far gone that God would not want to reach out to help them. It's an anger at a system which cuts people off from God and from each other which requires people to jump through hoops to prove themselves acceptable to God. Jesus is effectively saying, you've been told you're beyond help. You've been cut off from your community and from God. You've been left thinking that God might not want to help you. Well, that's not how I see you. See? I've touched you. Go back and show them that God does want to know. Whatever they think, God does have time for you. That God does care and wants to help you. Actually, it may not matter too much whether it was compassion or anger which moved Jesus. The two can be a lot closer than we realise. I mean, it's one thing to feel sorry for someone. True compassion will often feel a sense of anger at their plight and its causes and consequences. That this man should feel so unworthy of the grace he's seen others receive so freely. And this man finds in Jesus someone who is not just willing, but able to offer him grace. Jesus goes much further than he could ever have expected. Jesus heals some people with a word, other people at a distance. But somehow Jesus knows that just won't cut it with this guy. And what better way to show that he is welcomed and accepted, that grace is extended to him, than by reaching out and doing what no one else was prepared to do.
touch him. In Jesus and in this story, we encounter a God who, as I said several months ago, right at the beginning of this pandemic, is not in the business of social distancing. Whatever views others might have of us, however we might view ourselves, we are not beyond the reach and love of God. Jesus' anger is reserved for those who would use God or religion to try to keep people from God. Whereas his compassion and pity is for those who come saying, if you are willing, you can help me. And those are the people who find God only too willing to reach out to them. In Jesus, we have a God who is prepared to go to extraordinary lengths to reach us. A God who is prepared to pay whatever it cost. And for Jesus, it was costly. Don't know if you notice how the story ends. The guy pays zero attention to Jesus' instructions about not telling anyone. And the result is that he's restored, not just to health, but to community. He's able to go out and live life once more amongst those he loves. Whereas Jesus, he's stuck on the outside where this man was once banished. This guy's restored to life and community, but in doing so, Jesus winds up taking his place. And Jesus would have known that was the likely outcome. Yet he did it because that is the nature of the grace Jesus offers. For Jesus then, as it would later be on the cross, restoring us to relationship with God, letting us know we are loved and accepted, meant Jesus being willing to bear the cost and the consequences. If ever there was a place we find this, it's at this table where we remember that the path to the life of relationship with God that Jesus offered came through Jesus paying the cost in the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body. I don't know all those who are watching today, but this table tells us that however we come, we find a God willing and waiting to meet us. That when we ask the question, if you are willing, in Jesus we have a God who is willing to reach out to us. For now we may need to keep distance from one another, but God does not want us to keep distance from him. At this table, we're reminded that God did not keep his distance from us. But in Jesus, he came amongst us, became one of us, dwelt amongst us, touched us, reached out to us with a touch of love and welcome and acceptance. A God who was willing to pay whatever it was, cost, to reach out to us. Even going to the cross that's how precious you are to him. There is no question of if you want to, Jesus. He does. He invites us to come, to break bread and drink wine, to remember the lengths he was prepared to go to, to know how much we are loved and longed for by God. Let no one tell you that you are beyond the love of God. Don't even let yourself tell you that. Know that if you reach out to him, you will find God willing to meet you. However you come, however you feel, 
may you feel his touch of love, welcome and acceptance. Grace and peace.